order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Dr Doug Naismith. Question number one, Mr Speaker. M Mr Speaker, I I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Acting Sergeant John Aymer from 1st Battalion, the Coldstream Guards. We owe him a huge debt of gratitude, and our thoughts are with his family and friends. As we plan a way forward in Afghanistan, this loss in Afghanistan reminds us of the risks and dangers our forces have to endure in Afghanistan today and every day, and of the importance of securing peace and stability. Mr. Speaker, after talks with President Obama, I can also report that the London Conference on Afghanistan will make decisions on civil coordination in Afghanistan, hear commitments by coalition partners on extra troops, and from President Karzai on Afghan reform. This morning, I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings today. Dr. Doug Naismith. In associating uh, myself with the condolences by the Prime Minister for the family and friends of Acting Sergeant John Aymer, I know I am speaking for every member of this House. Yeah. Following recent events in Colchester and Basildon Hospital Trusts, does my right honourable friend agree with me and agree with the Secretary of State for Health and with a recent report of the Health Select Committee that the major priority of the National Health Service must be patient safety? Mr Speaker, patient safety is and has to be our number one priority and there is no excuse for anything other than the best care and no tolerance for the failure of management and I am sorry when any patient receives less than the best of care and help in the NHS. As a result of uh, our studies of the NHS, we have introduced independent regulation, we have introduced transparency so that information flows to the patients, we have set up the Care Quality Commission, which from next year will register all hospitals and set clear safety standards that they will have to continuously meet. And I can say today that our objective is that that process will start not from April but from January, and we will do everything in our power to help hospitals deal with hospital-acquired diseases and make sure of the best care at all times. There has been a 7% fall in mortality overall in our hospitals, a 50% fall in MRSA. We will continue to do everything in our power to make our hospitals clean, safe and secure for all patients. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister and everyone in this House in paying tribute to Acting Sergeant John Aymer, who died this week in Afghanistan? He gave his life to protect our country. We should honour his memory. We should care for his family. Before I go on to other subjects, can I ask a couple of questions about Afghanistan? Following President Obama's very welcome speech last night, the British people will want to know what the US surge means for British forces. I think we all accept that one of the problems has been that British troops have been spread too thinly over too much ground. Will the US reinforcement mean that we will be able to have more of our forces concentrated in fewer places so they can protect the population more effectively and turn the tide against the Taliban? Mr Speaker, I think, first of all, that the whole House will welcome the announcement by President Obama, both of the objectives of the mission in relation to the Taliban and in relation to al-Qaeda, but also the numbers of troops, a very substantial part of which will go into Helmand province and will be an assistance in dealing with the Taliban insurgency there. I said on Monday that our troops would go in immediately so that they were more densely concentrated in the areas where there has been the greatest problem. 
I said that from January, some of our troops would be involved in the vital task of partnering and mentoring the Afghan forces. I believe that we have a situation where, at the moment, uh, there are something in the order of 200,000 Afghan troops and British, America and coalition troops in <laughs> Afghanistan. By the end of next year and by the beginning of 2011, that will be in excess of 300,000. It will make it possible for us to transfer the control of some of the districts and provinces to Afghan security control starting in 2010. David Cameron. The, the Prime Minister specifically spoke about this transfer of provinces in 2010, and I want to ask him about this, because at the weekend he said he was looking at transferring at least five Afghan provinces to lead Afghan control by the end of 2010, including parts of Helmand. This was widely interpreted as a commitment to start the withdrawal of British troops in 2010. Well, the Prime Minister shakes his head, but that is how it was reported on every single media outlet. And this, this is a well. This will be a good opportunity for the Prime Minister to clarify this issue. President Obama said the process of transferring forces out of Afghanistan would not even begin till the middle of 2011. It is important that we don't give false expectations to British troops or mixed messages to anybody else. So can the Prime Minister clarify whether he would expect British troop numbers to start with reducing in 2010 or 2011? Mr Speaker, I made it absolutely clear at the press conference uh, that if he read the full transcript of, he would know that there was, no question, there was no question of us withdrawing our British troops until the point that we were sure that the Afghans could take over security control themselves. Now, even if one or two parts of a district or a province are transferred in 2010, we will continue to have our troops in Afghanistan at that point. My point earlier was that by 2011, there will be over 300,000 troops, both Afghanistan, American, British and coalition troops. And that is the point at which the balance between Afghan forces and British and American and, and coalition troops will start to change. I think uh, we should recognise that it is absolutely crucial for our Afghanisation strategy that the Afghans start to take control of the security as soon as possible. I think it's also absolutely crucial that we are assured that the Afghan troops are properly trained and therefore they are partnered with the British forces. That will happen during the course of 2010. I can assure them that we will stay and do the job that is necessary. I believe that when people see in Britain the facts of the Taliban threat, uh, and equally the problems with Al-Qaeda, that they will support what we, the Government, have done with 43 coalition partners. Yeah. Mr David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. That does sound more like the 2011 that President Obama was talking about, and I think the clarification is welcome. Turning to the economy, will the Prime Minister confirm that figures this week show that Britain is the last country, not just in the G7, but in the G entire G20, to move out of recession? Uh, no, they, they don't confirm that. Uh, Spain, Spain, Spain is a member of the G20 now, and it is in recession. Six European countries that are part of the European Union or part of the continent of Britain are in recession. But I have, I have, to, I have, to, I have to say to him, the purpose of asking this question must be either that he has policy that he wishes to put forward uh, so, that, so that we, so that we, can, we can do better, or he's simply talking down Britain. The fact is, it is his policies that have given us the longest and deepest recession in our history. 
Only this Prime Minister thinks that we should all be pathetically grateful for this long and deep recession, that somehow he's led the world when he's left Britain behind. He's normally fond of list, reading out lists of countries. Well, Australia, Canada, Turkey, Brazil, they all went into recession after Britain, but they came out before Britain. France and Germany went into recession at the same time as Britain, and yet they came out before. Can the Prime Minister answer this? Given that all those countries are now in growth, and we are not in growth, can he tell us what on earth he meant when he said, and I quote, we were leading the rest of the world out of recession? Yeah. Mr Speaker, not one policy from the Leader of the Opposition. Uh, you know, we, we, have, we have taken action to restructure the banks and nationalise Northern Rock, opposed by the party opposite. We have taken action for a fiscal stimulus opposed by the party opposite. We have taken action to keep unemployment down as a result of creating jobs opposed by the opposition. We have taken action for international cooperation opposed by the opposition. They have been wrong on the recession. They will be wrong on the recovery. Mr Speaker, the voice may be that of a modern public relations man. The mindset, the mindset is that of the 1930s. One must have sounded great in the bunker. <laughs> the fact is, the one policy this country needs above all is a credible programme for getting the biggest budget deficit in the G20 under control. That is the view of the Governor of the Bank of England, and he says they haven't got a credible plan to get the deficit under control. Government backbenchers need to simmer down a little. Mr David Cameron. It's not, just, uh, it's not just backbenchers, Mr Speaker. The Children's Secretary is up to his old tricks again. You, you, uh, you, would have thought, you would have thought he'd meant to sp spend more time in his ultra-marginal constituency. But perhaps he agrees with us, which is the more, pe the more he meets people, the more likely we are to win it. The fact is, when you look at the Prime Minister's three central claims. The claim we were better prepared than other countries, that was wrong, our deficit was worse than other countries. The claim that Britain was leading the world out of recession, we're still in recession. And the claim he had abolished, boom and bust, absolute rubbish. Isn't it the case his three biggest claims are his three biggest failures? The more he talks, the less he actually says. Nothing. <laughs> about policy. We have helped 200,000 businesses in this country. We have helped half a million people stay out of unemployment. We are helping people who are, have problems with mortgage arrears. Mr Speaker, if he wanted to reduce the deficit, if he wanted to reduce the deficit, why does he persist with his inheritance tax policy that would cost a billion pounds? Why does he have a domestic tax policy which is to help his friends with inheritance tax cuts and a global tax policy to help non-domicile candidates avoid any tax whatsoever? As, as the Prime Minister has raised inheritance tax, perhaps he could answer, 
Perhaps you can answer oh, this. Order, Mr. Bradshaw, you're a very senior member. I say to the right honourable gentleman and to all members that the more noise there is, the fewer the opportunities for backbenchers to take part. Mr. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. That's another one who should be defending his marginal constituency. Let the Prime Minister answer this very simple question. The only person who has made a specific pledge, not just a pledge or a promise, but in legislation to reduce inheritance tax in the coming budget is the Prime Minister. He legislated to raise the threshold from 325,000 to 350,000. Perhaps he can tell us now, is he still planning to do that? We'd like an answer. Mr Speaker, it's interesting this exchange. It's interesting this exchange started with the great ideas of economic policy and he's ended up having to defend his own policy on inheritance tax. Mr Speaker, the question he has to answer... The issue, Mr Speaker, the issue that concerns the whole country is, is that inheritance tax cuts to millionaires will cost us nearly £2 billion that we should be spending on the public services. Now, the issue for the country, is it public services for the many or inheritance tax cuts for the few? I have to say that with him and Mr Goldsmith, their inheritance tax policy seems to have been dreamed up on the playing fields of Eton. Enjoying themselves, they do. They do all seem to have had a very hearty breakfast. Linda Walto. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, follow that. Um, will my right honourable friend congratulate Avon International Ambassador Reese Witherspoon and Domestic Violence Charity Refuge, who today, along with me, launched their Four Ways to Speak Out Against Domestic Violence campaign? And will he reassure me that this government will continue to concentrate policy and resources to attack this most evil of, of crimes and cowardly of crimes? I'm grateful to my honourable friend. She has led the way in urging us as a government and our country to take seriously the issue of domestic violence. And last week the government launched its strategy to tackle all forms of violence against women. And I believe we have made real progress, but a great deal has to be done. There has been a 64% reduction in domestic violence. We are bringing more criminal cases to court, but we need to do more. I'm very grateful that Rennie Witherspoon is leading this campaign. She spoke movingly at the funeral of Anthony Mangella, and I welcome her to the House today. Mr Nick Clegg. I'd obviously like to add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of Acting Sergeant John Aymer of the 1st Battalion Coldstream Guards, who lost his life tragically serving in Afghanistan on Monday. Mr Speaker, President Obama's speech last night on his new strategy in Afghanistan is immensely important. Uh, He has set a very tight timetable... He has, set, he has set a very tight timetable indeed for this new military stra- uh, strategy and surge to have an effect. Given this tight timetable, does the Prime Minister agree that it's all the more important not to over-rely on President Karzai? 
President Obama said last night that the best way forward is to get tough on Karzai. But given, that, given Karzai's previous record, given that two of his vice presidents are ex-warlords, does the Prime Minister not think that it would be better to have a strategy working around President Karzai, relying, relying on local and regional political leadership instead? Mr Speaker, uh, President uh, Obama will be grateful for his endorsement. Uh, <laughs> He is, um, he is, um, he is absolutely right that to, he is absolutely right that we have to both weaken the Taliban and strengthen the Afghan state. The action we are taking with troops to deal with the counter to deal with the insurgency are important, but as he rightly recognises, so too is building up the strength of the Afghan army, its police, its local, and its national government. And as President Obama said last night, there is no blank check for President Karzai. He has to take the action as necessary. And that's why I said earlier today that the London conference on November the 28th, which President Karzai will attend, will be a chance for President Karzai to set out further reforms that he has to make to make the army and police more efficient, to make sure that government is free of corruption, and to build up stronger local and provincial government. Nick Clegg. Will the Prime Minister confirm whether at the London conference he just referred to, whether the powers around Afghanistan Afghanistan, Russia, China and yes even Iran might be uh, involved. Without regional backing it will be very difficult to create stability within Afghanistan. President Obama was silent on this crucial regional dimension in his speech last night. So will the Prime Minister tell us whether this is being taken forward and perhaps give us a feel for what steps have been taken to involve those other countries in the region? I'm, great, I'm grateful to him because, as he recognises, the military surge has got to be matched by a political and a diplomatic surge. And it will be no use for the future of Afghanistan if there is no security around Afghanistan with the neighbours of Afghanistan. And that's why they have a very important role to play in the future in guaranteeing non-interference in Afghans' affairs and in building up the links that are necessary for Afghan trade and Afghan industry and Afghan commerce to flourish, but also to stop the flow of weapons into Afghanistan. So yes, it is right that we will invite regional powers uh, to the London Conference. Celia Barlow. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister join with me in marking 60 years since Sir Harold Ridley, the British surgeon, commissioned my Hove company, Rainers, to produce the first intraocular lens? Would he also co um, congratulate Rainers, who on Friday received the Queen's Award for Enterprise and still work with charities across the world restoring sight? Well, in her constituency, there are many excellent companies, and one of them is Rainers. And I want to congratulate uh, all those who contributed to the success of ophthalmic uh, uh, medicine over these last few years. The inventions that have come for Britain are, sh are, sh are truly wonderful. We should be very proud of our British scientists and engineers, but also very proud of our medical researchers and our medical firms. Mr Ben Wallace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, recently revealed figures show that since 2001, 140 inmates have been allowed to die of cancer while serving their sentences in UK jails. Mm. In light of his business secretary's recent country sports activity, under this government, is it one rule for British inmates and another one for Libyan mass murderers? Yeah. <laughs> Mr Speaker, as, as he knows, the decision on uh, Libya uh, was made by the Scottish uh, administration it was their decision to make, it was not our decision to make. Roger Berry. Mr Speaker, my constituents are extremely concerned about the impact of 
global warming and want speedy action to deal with it, unlike uh, some senior members opposite and their European allies. Will my right honourable friend assure the House that he has been doing everything possible uh, so that both developed and developing countries can look to a deal at Copenhagen. Well, we, we, we are in the happy position of being able to work with the rest of Europe to get a climate uh, change agreement and in the position to work as Europe with the rest of the world to make sure that we can move forward. And the talks that are taking place now, including at the Commonwealth Conference, are a desire to bring together the richest countries who will have to contribute to a climate change deal financially as, as well as with bold and ambitious targets, and the developing countries who we want to make progress but whom we will have to be able to help. I'm pleased that we have agreed, and I believe America and Europe will also agree with the Commonwealth, on a £10 billion start-up fund to help the poorest countries immediately move on mitigation and adaptation. We have to make sure that the intermediate targets that the major countries are going to propose are sufficiently ambitious for us to meet our target in 2050 of a 50% reduction, but to be making big progress through 2020. Britain will play its part. I know that the European Union will play its part. We look forward to successful negotiations in Copenhagen, and I hope that despite doubts expressed from some parts of the opposition, that there will be all-party support for that deal. Ms Anne McIntosh. In July 2007, the Prime Minister promised that no local authority would be out of pocket in recovering from the summer floods. Collectively, they had a shortfall of £50 million. What promise will he give the people of Cumbria that they will similarly not face a shortfall in the recovery from the floods this year? Mr Speaker, I understand from the uh, uh, DEFRA Secretary, who is uh, with me on the bench, that 100% of the clean-up costs were actually made, made available. But I also understand the Environment Agency and the Local District Council have developed proposals for a flood defence scheme in Thirsk and are working up proposals to secure funding for that scheme. I have to say that investment in flood management is higher than ever. We saw the benefits of it in Carlisle and in surrounding areas as a result of flood defence investment. And the grants that we are making to the Environment Agency to tackle flooding have increased from 500 million in 2007 to 659 million in 2010-11. I assure her our constituency case is being dealt with, but I think she should see the wider investment that we are making in flood defences. Chris Ruane. Speaker, does the Prime Minister agree with me that the policy of growing and not cutting our way out of recession is beginning to show results? And if we adopt the way, hold on, hold on, I haven't finished yet. And if we adopted the policy of immediate and savage cuts, then the economy, uh, 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 advocated by the dynamic two over, two over there, the economy would be in a right old Eastern mess. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, the. The Shadow, Shadow Chancellor has always recognised that we need to do more to get ourselves out of recession. And I believe that the action that we are taking to help small businesses, to help those people who are unemployed back into work, to advance capital investment so that we have big construction projects going ahead, and of course to help homeowners, is the action that every other country in the world, including every other country in Europe, supports. And it's only unfortunate that the Leader of the Opposition and the Shadow Chancellor are even set against the Shadow Shadow Chancellor in trying to deal with this problem. Malcolm Bruce. Yeah, yeah. When the Prime Minister goes to Copenhagen next week, will he not recognise that securing a commitment to the 100 billion fund that he's looking for in 2020 
2030 will be essential to securing a deal from the developing countries. But at the same time, will he reflect that given the floods that we have in this country, in Cumbria, in Huntley, in my constituency and elsewhere, we need a partnership between government and the insurance industry to ensure that we have the means to cope with climate change because local authorities in the present climate will not be able to do it alone. I'm grateful. He is chairman of the uh, Development uh, Select Committee and I'm grateful for what he says about the Climate Change Conference and the need to help the poorest uh, countries. Our policy is to deal with climate change at home and abroad. I believe there should be no doubt about the scientific evidence before us that shows the need to act on climate change. And I thought we had moved beyond that argument to looking at what we need to do. At home, we will continue to invest in a low-carbon economy, and I believe he will see next week in the pre-budget report action to move forward that investment so that we are a low-carbon economy of the future, one that can lead the world. Abroad, it is important that we make sure that there is sufficient finance for developing countries to enable them to come to a deal in Copenhagen in a few days' time. We've already got agreement on start-up finance. We now need to get an agreement on how we can move forward that finance over a period of years. Tom Harris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister believe that every candidate who stands for election to this House should pay taxes in this country? Yes. For the first time in 50 years, the key economic portfolio in the European Commission has gone to France. President Sarkozy has proudly told Reuters, the English are the big losers in this business. Why did the Prime Minister fail to win it for Britain? (laughs) Mr Speaker, if he looks at the policy that is being adopted by the European Union at the moment, and they are discussing today the policy on financial services, and look at the policy that is being adopted on the economy generally, it is uh, British proposals, British influence, British policies that are making a difference. Uh, And I say to him that that is the advantage of being at the heart of Europe. If we took his advice and his party's advice, we'd be on the fringe of Europe, isolated, dealing with minority parties and unable to change the course of the debate. That is not the position we're in. My honourable friend will know that there is a need to change legislation for the civil service compensation scheme. He will also know that this is being used as an opportunity by the Permanent Secretary's Dining Club to propose slashes to the entitlement of lower paid civil servants in the event of redundancy. Will he please give an assurance that no such device, such as a statutory instrument, which I believe is proposed to be tabled on the last day when we recess for Christmas, will be introduced into this House to operate such a scheme from the 1st of January, and will he ensure that no legislation is introduced until a new agreement is established with the Union's concern? I'm grateful. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, he will find that there is indeed extra protection for the lowest paid civil servants, as well as ensuring that all the savings that the Government has committed to will be achieved. But I cannot defend a system where there are six times the ordinary salary at the very top of civil servants uh, who uh, take uh, voluntary retirement. That is a system that has got to change, and it will change. Elfin Fluid. Given the £100 million raid on Welsh lottery funds and the non-banitising of the cost of the Olympics, what can the people of Wales realistically expect for the £427 million they're paying for the London Olympics. Let, let, me, let me first of all uh, congratulate the new uh, leader of the Welsh Labour Party and the uh, prospectus First Minister of Wales, Carwyn Jones, and I believe that he will be an excellent leader. And let me say to him that over the last 12 years, expenditure on Wales has, has grown markedly, 
as a result of the decisions of a Labour government. And he should be grateful that there is additional expenditure on health, on education and on sports and on culture in Wales. And we will continue to honour our commitments to the people of Wales. Una MacIsaac. Mr Speaker, the Bounce Back campaign launched by the Grimsby Telegraph aims to unite businesses and organisations so that our area is on the right road to recovery following the recession. Will he endorse that particular initiative and at the same time have a few sharp words for those opposite who continue to talk down our country? Yeah. Mr Speaker, it is important to recognise all the local efforts that are being made, including in Cleethorpe, by the business campaign to fight for a recovery for our country. And they are fighting to get local business, they are fighting to invest in future businesses, they are fighting to help young people get jobs and to take on more apprenticeships. This is what people in Britain want to do to help us get through the recession and get to recovery. But it is only possible, it is only possible by having a policy that says we will invest additional money to take us through a most difficult time when markets fail and banks falter. And that is the policy that we have pursued. It is pursued by every other country. It's unfortunate, again, I have to repeat, it is not supported by the opposition party. Kim Yeo. Mr Speaker, since next week's pre-budget report coincides with the start of the climate change talks in Copenhagen, has the Prime Minister instructed the Chancellor to reverse the fall in green taxes which took place during the ten years when the Prime Minister himself was Chancellor? And does he now accept that a tax is only a green tax if its primary purpose is to change behaviour and not to raise revenue. Mr Speaker, I, I, I don't think he's proposing his VAT on fuel. I, I don't think the Conservative Party is wanting to raise VAT on fuel. What we have done is introduce a climate change levy. Uh, we have introduced air passenger tax at a higher rate. We have taken measures that are necessary to deal with the problems of the environment, to reduce carbon emissions, and we are taking measures that are in line with what is happening in other countries. But if he wants us to put VAT on fuel, uh, I would oppose him. Morgan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I was pleased to read over the weekend that the Government is considering moving many of the 130,000 civil service jobs in London and the South East out to areas where the need is greater. Would my right honourable friend consider my constituency of Cardiff North as a destination for more civil service jobs, bearing in mind that the Inland Revenue Building in Clannishan has six empty floors? Yep. Mr Speaker, Cardiff North is an excellent uh, location for uh, uh, new work and new jobs. As of December 2008, over 3,000 posts have been reallocated from London and the South East to Wales and nearly 300 to Cardiff. We want to help areas by creating jobs, not causing unemployment. Sir Peter Tapsell. The Prime Minister has just told us that he hopes that in a couple of years' time we'll have 300,000 troops fighting the Taliban. As that happens to be exactly the number that I told the government that they would need when they first recklessly went in with hopelessly inadequate troops, grossly under-equipped. Should he not now resign? Yeah. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, can I say, 
President Obama will be grateful for his endorsement of our strategy. Uh, 300,000 means that there are about 150,000 Afghan troops trained and ready to take uh, over responsibility. And that is the task over the next year, to train up more Afghan forces. And I'm very grateful that President Obama has made it at the centre of what he has proposed. It is what our British forces will do with all the coalition partners. And can I thank him again uh, for his, his advice? He has not always been... He has not always been right. He advised me not to make the Bank of England independent. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does my right honourable friend believe that the post office should expand its role in banking, particularly in children's banking, and introduce a wider range of financial services to help sustain the post office network? Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, uh, the services proposed are a post office current account, a children's savings account, new services for small businesses, including a post office business account and a weekly budgeting account to those on low incomes to take advantage of direct debits and reduced bills. Once again, we are taking an institution that is well established in the country and giving it a new purpose, serving the whole community. And this is what a Labour government does. Order.